Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. It's Todd Tomasella with Travis Bryan III. Good morning, Brother Travis. How are you? Good morning, Todd. Good to hear your voice this morning. Absolutely, brother. We we have an exciting topic today. Jesus and the adulterous woman. What a what a message this is. And let me just read that right up front here. The first eleven verses of John chapter eight. And Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him and He sat down and taught them, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee go and sin no more. Amen. What a fascinating passage and a vital component of scripture we have here, Brother Travis. Now, some of the things you have written about this recently in a post that's going to be on safeguardyoursoul.com is really interesting. You begin by saying God is not a God of reward and punishment or evil versus good. And then God's New Testament economy is not according to Moses's law. God does not relate to humanity through any religious system of rule keeping, reward and punishment, blessing or cursing, right versus wrong. All these are facets of the legal system derived from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge is a tree of law. 2 Corinthians 11.3, God sent his son into the world to redeem humanity from the curse 
source in the tree of law, Galatians 3, and set us free from it. The law cannot give its adherence life. The law kills, the spirit gives life. Would you like to comment on that? Yes, Todd, this uh, this passage uh, is a sign. The book of John is a book of signs. Uh, all of these stories, though literally true, they signify a deeper meaning. They are signs of something. And this passage, I believe, is a sign of the monumental shift of God's economy out of law and into the cross and the resurrection, that God does not relate to humanity through law, through rule-keeping religion-type practices. Uh, He does not relate to humanity through a system of reward and punishment, where if you violate, you're punished. If you do well, you're blessed. That is all performance-based. That's a theme that we have discussed recently and has moved us into an economy of dying and rising with Christ. So you have these two downs and two ups here, Todd, which signify Mm -hmm. something. And he refuses to go along with the law, which is stated in Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 22.22, where a person caught in the act of adultery was stoned to death. And they brought that to Jesus and in an attempt to trap him and also to accuse the woman and said, what do you say? Will you go along with the law or not? And he replies by these two movements, down, up, down, up. The first two Mm. down signifies, Todd, the coming down of Christ in his first advent, Jesus living on the earth 33 and a half years, then going to the cross, and then the the first lifting up signifies his being lifted up on the cross. I, if I be lifted up, would draw all men to me. Speaking of the cross there, the lifting up speaks of the cross as well as the resurrection and the ascension back to heaven. Mm. So there you have a down up. But then he, and, and in the midst of that, he writes something on the ground in the dust there. Then you have this second stooping down and raising up, and that to me signifies, Todd, the descent of the Holy Ghost mm. to initiate mankind into, that is, those that believe, into this new economy of death and resurrection and rapture. So the the lifting up at the end of that is the lifting up of the body of Christ, our experience of the cross with Christ, and mm-hmm. our experience and participation with him in his resurrection and ascension, Todd. So we are raptured into heaven where we ascend send to heaven upon our death, and that is the last prefigurement in the passage where the church is lifted up, Todd. And then he says, go and sin no more, which means sinless perfection is possible after these two down-ups are completed, Todd. Praise the Lord, brother. What are your thoughts on what he wrote in the sand? I believe that he wrote one word, and of course we can't be sure what he wrote, but the Lord has indicated (laughs) to me that he wrote the word death in the dust there. That was what he came to do his first time. One word, death. And that was the true answer to their question. Their question was, if you can find it, Moses in the law says that we stone her to death. What's that? Thou. Yeah. And he gave a true answer. 
The law says we mm-hmm. stone her to death. And so he wrote death there. But he died that mm-hmm. death for us, Todd. Yeah. He he's the one Amen. that took our place on that cross and died. And he said, Let he's without sin cast the first stone. See, that brings the attention back over to him and what he is going to do to save us from that death. And that we're all we owe it. and we shouldn't be ones yeah. to cast stones and judge other Amen. people. That's right, brother. We owe a debt we cannot pay. He exactly. paid a debt he did not owe. Romans ten four says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. He's the only one that ever fulfilled it. Then he took it in Colossians two and nailed it to the cross and took it out of the way. Now verse And Todd, let me complete my answer to your last question. The second time he stooped down, he wrote, That's the Holy Ghost coming to earth to go into the hearts of people and give them life, the life of God. So the second time he wrote, he wrote the word life in the dust. Mm. Death life. That is that is the gospel, Todd. You're going to get into this in a minute, but 2 Corinthians 3 is what this sounds like, about the supersedence of the new covenant in Christ and the superior nature of it over the old covenant. A lot of folks want to still be under the law, brother. That's uh, amazing to me. Number two, Two, you said Jesus brought the life of God into the world for the purpose of restoring humanity to God, the tree of life. Mm. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1, 4. I am come that they might have life. John 10, verse 10. Go ahead, brother. We need the life of God, Todd, to live for God. And, and, and law cannot give you life. See, that's the main problem with living under law. It kills life. The law kills. The letter kills. Second Corinthians 3, 6. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit is a life-giving Spirit. The Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us or set us free from the law of sin and death. You know, again, we need life. And that that is not, and I said this last week, that is not planned life. That is not animal life. That's not human life. That is the life of God that, Todd, we can only receive through death. The only way a person can receive the life of God, the absolute necessary component of living the Christian life, is going through death, going through the cross, and that frees God to transport into your heart this life of God. And it it is a supernatural life. It's not natural life, Todd. It's beyond that way beyond that. life springs out of death now brother travis what are your thoughts on this it's my opinion and observation that until we realize what the bible says and states so clearly about our state without christ our fallen state after the fall of man us as individuals it's very i think that's a foundational cornerstone component for the christian that's very 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 important to understand that all of our own righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There had to be a great exchange. There's no good thing, Paul said, that dwelleth in him, that is, in his flesh. There's no... There's nothing to salvage of anything good as far as righteousness in the eyes of a God who's holy, holy, holy in us. 
And that's why Christ had to come, Brother Travis, correct? Oh, absolutely. And you're exactly right. And and see, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is a law tree because it makes people believe that if they can get on the good side of it and not on the evil side of it, that they'll be on God's side. But God is not in that tree. He is it, He is the tree of life, and we must have a life supply, a daily supply of life. That's why it's necessary to die daily, to receive that life supply to live for God. And Amen, so, uh, you know, it's just people, the self-righteousness is simply people living, not living the life of God, but living through human effort to keep rules, which is still in that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the law, Todd. Yeah, it's relationship now, not rules. And of course, if we have a relationship with him, we will obey him. But there's just still a lot of people in the Christian community that are definitely under the law and insist that we must keep the law and stuff like this. But the Bible says in the New Testament, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. There is no righteousness to be obtained through the law other than the fact that Jesus Christ kept the law, the only one ever to keep the law perfectly, therefore the only righteous one. He was the divine Savior from heaven, and he took it out of the way, took it out of our way and replaced it through a relationship. And we do, if you will, automatically are naturally probably a better term than that. Keep the law or the righteousness of the law, the righteousness that is demanded yet never gave the grace to fulfill until uh, now. Romans 8, 3, and 4, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's Romans 8, 3, and 4. It's living in the Spirit, brother, that allows us to live in a place that's pleasing to God in Christ, correct? Yes, the law is a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. And Paul says, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, Romans 8, 1. Now listen to this verse, Todd. See, the law can't give you life. You can't get life from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tree of law. And Paul wrestled with that, and he comes down to Romans 7, and that's the story of his death to the law to his living under law. And he makes this statement in verse 10. He says, And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceive me, and by it slew me. So the only thing the law can do for you is put you to death. And that is a function of it. That's why God allowed yeah. it. And But he yeah. raises the dead and he imparts the spirit into you, which gives you life. Taught him without that life, we cannot live for God. And the law has Amen. another function that is such is is preventive to the Christian life, and that is it arouses sinful passions. Yeah. When you uh, yeah, exactly. put the law on somebody, it's something in our flesh that is activated by that, and the motions of sin are aroused by commandments not to do something. We're stirred to do the very thing we're commanded not to do. So the law has two problems. It 
doesn't give you life. People think it does, but it doesn't. It arouses sin in you. It came that the, the offenses might increase, not decrease. Romans 5.20. Yes. And I'll yeah, tell you, brother. Romans chapter 7 is a real important component for believers to understand as you're reading out of right here. Verse 7, Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then, Paul says, is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet, etc. And then verse 12 tells us that the law, quote, the law is holy in the commandment holy and just and good it it uh, inflames it magnifies and yep. convicts us that we are sinners and that we must fall upon the mercy of Jesus Christ to be saved uh, John 117 comes to mind brother Travis the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ amen amen brother and it's the law is righteous and and holy and and true kind of like the commands you give your children when you tell them not to do something. Those are perfect commands that are designed to to help them and keep them from destroying themselves. But when you tell a child not to do something, there's something in the nature of that child that wants to rebel against that good and true commandment and go out and do it. And in that sense, the law, though it be good, arouses the desire within us and the rebellious nature within us to violate the very rule the law gives us and says not to do. You know, right there, got to say, there are people foolishly peddling the false teachings of men like Charles Finney, who teach that we don't even have a sin nature and an inclination towards sin, which is ridiculous, especially in light mm. of when you read Romans chapter 7. I mean, that's just ridiculous. We should all know that by experience also. But anyway, I had to throw that in there because that is a false teaching that's circulating among a lot of street preachers and stuff today. Now, number three here, brother, we're not going to be able to cover all these points, ladies and gentlemen. I yeah. encourage you to go on safeguardyoursoul.com. Just pop in the search box, Jesus and the adulterous woman, to see all the wonderful points. Number three, Brother Travis, you said the Pharisees brought this woman caught in adultery to Jesus and asked him whether he would follow Moses's law and agree that the woman should be stoned to death. And then the next mm -hmm. one, Jesus would not agree to follow Moses's law, which he referred to as your, the Jews, law in John eight seventeen. Mm -hmm. He would not even identify his father or himself with Moses's law. And and that happens about five times in the book of John where he refers to Moses' law as their law or your law in a way in which it appears that he's not willing to identify with it. And of yeah, course, distant. Yeah, go ahead. he is. And, and, you know, the law killed Christ. Uh, the law killed Jesus at Calvary. Paul said, through the law, I died to the law. He's, he's talking about his participation in the death of Christ there. That's Galatians 2.19. And there are other verses that, that would indicate that God's love collided with the law at Calvary and the law put him to death, but he rose from the dead and left that law behind and took it out of the way. Now the law Amen. still exists. First Timothy one still it says the law is for the, the unrighteous, unrighteous, the, uh, the yeah. murderers, the thieves, the whoremongers. The law still exists on the earth because that is an ineffective, but nevertheless necessary uh, way of trying to keep order. But look around you and see what a great job it's doing. 
doing. You know, you, you, I got to say, First Timothy chapter one gives us the, the prescription for true New Testament evangelism, saints, which we talk about in the new book called Revolutionary Evangelism, 133-page book. I encourage you to get on safeguardyoursoul.com or Amazon. The law is to be used to to bring about conviction, which brings people to the foot of the cross where Christ paid the full price for our sins. You know, the law is for that design purpose at this point, especially under the new covenant, Brother Travis, to bring the sinner to a place of realizing that they're alienated from God, to bring conviction to their heart. Google Master to bring us where? Not to the law, but to Christ. Galatians mm-hmm. chapter 3, verse 24. And saints, I want to encourage you to read that in First Timothy chapter 1. Again, we go over that thoroughly in the book, Revolutionary Evangelism. It works wonders to bring conviction and bring Christ to people, to Christ. I've been using that personally, Brother Travis, and seen just Lots and lots of people say that law to convict is very, very, mm-hmm. very effective. For many years after I learned how to employ it by way of the biblical prescription there, in First Timothy chapter 1, the law is not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Brother, we've got a few minutes left. Number five. I was going to say that, and, and when you do that and people do come to Christ, it's absolutely necessary to tell them then, hey, you're not under that law that was used to convict you in anymore. You're out from under that law now and under grace. So they get an understanding Mm -hmm. that the law is not to be used for salvation after that one use of it there in that convicting message. 2 Corinthians 11.3, people ask me, where do you get this connection between the law, Moses' law, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, one place is 2 Corinthians 11.3, where Paul is talking about here these Judaizers that are trying to take everybody back to the law. And he compares them to the serpent who beguiled Eve to eat from Mm -hmm. the tree. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's warning them about these Judaizers here in chapter 11 that will take them back to the law. And that's just like going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like the serpent deceived Eve to do. He's, he's comparing these Judaizers to serpents, Todd. Then he makes this statement down here in, in 11 through 13, same chapter, chapter 11 of Second Corinthians. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He is saying these Judaizers, though they're preaching good behavior and good works and, and keeping rules, are actually serpents in your midst, ministers of righteousness that are deceiving you into going away from the life of God, the tree of life, and back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Todd. Covers a lot of people in ministry today, and in most cases, it's ever so subtle, Brother Travis. Would that be correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very subtle, Todd. Many of these these ministers have never heard this. The the seminaries don't teach it, apparently, and you get this mixture of law and grace out there, Todd, that is a, that's like putting arsenic in some sugared tea. I mean, it may taste pretty good, but it'll kill you if you mix law with grace, Todd. Yes, absolutely. A little is said about the relationship we have with the Lord, and so many do's and don'ts. I know you point out that there's 
there's so many do's and don'ts type ministries going on today, correct? Oh, absolutely. Do's and don'ts, taboos. This is putting the cart before the horse. This is saying that by keeping these do's and don'ts, you can draw near to God. And the truth is, we've been drawn near to God through the cross and the resurrection. And the do's and don'ts are a spontaneous byproduct of a relationship, Todd. Amen. Jesus said that the whole law is summed up in two commandments, saints, as we close here, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. If you've been born again, the life of Christ is in you by way of the Holy Spirit. He's made you a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things will become new. And through adherence to that abiding relationship with Christ, which is what the new covenant is all about. It's far superior to the old covenant and superseded it. Hebrews chapter 8, you are now a child of God. You have a relationship relationship with the Father through the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, and the completed redemptive work of Jesus when he was buried and raised again from the dead. We're talking about the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, where there's going to be a death, burial, and resurrection in your daily life as you walk with the Lord. Romans fourteen seventeen: the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of Christ is about a relationship with him. It's not about religious rituals and do's and don'ts, but rather his righteousness reigning in us and the fruit of peace, the fruit of peace and joy, love, joy, and peace being produced in the life of the disciple of Christ. Romans 14 verse 17. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.